City with Nick Meneses and Dane McLean. Live chat about everything cinema, from new releases, iconic films, and plenty more for you movie lovers. Live for CMRU.ca. And now to the men behind the mic. to Sin City with Nicholas Meneses Casajos, Dane McLean, and our special guest of the day, Ryan Robinson. How are you, Ryan? I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. I'm a little bit sick, but it's not COVID, just a sore throat, and hopefully I sound mostly normal. So, yeah, mm. beyond that, I'm doing well. It's good. Um, get well soon, man. No worries. And you sound Thank good, you. too, at the same time. I'm, nice. cool. I'm drinking my coconut water, taking my vitamin C. I'll be red as rain. It's nice, man. Awesome. So, and how about you, Big D? How you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm super excited for today because, as you know, Drive is uh, one of my all-time favorite films. I placed it number two of the decade of the 2010s as far as kind of favorite slash best films, subjective, objective, kind of more on the subjective side, to be honest, but it is one of my favorite films of all time, so I'm so excited to talk to you guys about Nicholas Wine Weapons, I think his his masterpiece. Awesome. And you said it's one of your favorite films ever made, Ryan? Yeah, it's a great film. Uh, It's got a lot of things going for it. It just feels like so atmospheric. The fact that they bundle everything together to really have like a vibe that that's what makes it stand out in my opinion. You know, like a lot of of good films came out in the last decade, but not so many have like an instantly recognizable theme going on. Oh, I have to agree with you on that one. And also, this is your second episode in where we had a milestone celebration. Last time we discussed The Silence of the Lambs 30th anniversary, and now Drive turns 10 years old as of 2021. Finally, yes. And like this movie, I rewatched it last week and prepped for this episode. And first off, I, I just... I don't even know where to begin. How about we start by saying just how beautifully shot this film is. Like, one of the factors that sells a movie to me would be the aesthetic. And Drive is just beautiful, has this very incredible cinematography. It already sells you in right from the opening scene with Los Angeles at night. It's just, wow, terrific. Mm. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's like one of those uh, films, like, I mean, I didn't know what to expect from it because I initially when it came out, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be an action film, um, kind of fall into that sort of uh, conventional action film that takes place in Los Angeles and there's driving. And I was kind of like hesitant about it. I think my dad actually really liked it when it came out in 2011. I was kind of like, uh... I, I just don't know. I don't. I don't know what to think about it. And then, probably three years later, I watched it and I realized it's 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 so much like it's so much more than what sort of the marketing, the trailer made it up to be. And uh, so that opening, yeah, that that opening with Kavinsky Nightcall, 
that's easily one of the greatest, I think, opening sequences in cinema, I think, with yeah. chromatics ticking the clock. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> How I just didn't appreciate it from the beginning, I don't know, but I, it's just like you, you need to watch it at the right time, and once it clicks, you realize it's better than, way better than your average action film. Oh, yeah, definitely agree with you. Yeah, that is what if there's one thing Drive can teach us all aspiring filmmakers is that sometimes actions speak louder than words. Always good to show, don't tell. It's a film that relies on visual storytelling. The opening scene is a perfect example of that. Like, there's little to no dialogue, but from what we see of the driver, and yes, that's his name, no joke to those who haven't seen the film, he, like, from his watch to his driving skills, the fact that, and even he has a map, at the beginning of any escape route for the getaway it sh it tells us a lot about the driver how he's meticulous a perfectionist and always determined to get the job done right and he did it he managed to get the criminals the bank robbers away without the police even catching them it really sets the tone of the film and tells us everything we need to know about the character and about the world he's living in without any spoken words. It's genius, really. Yeah, yeah, I think, think um, I think, like, for example, what you're talking about, like, with Driver, like, I think uh, that's the other thing is he, he's a character, like, you expect... I, I guess well, Ryan Gosling. A lot of his other movies, he 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 speaks less than a lot of other characters. But you're expecting him to be like something completely different as a character, and then when you realize he is this, just he like all of the all of the communication. I think with Driver, like through his uh, facial expressions, for the most part, like he has I don't know 30, 50 lines of dialogue in the whole film. But it's that's what really sells his character. I think for me, and I I love. I think it's one of the greatest characters in. In action films ever because he is so um, like there's just the silent uh, sort of almost anonymous like you don't you don't know his backstory you don't know what he's gone through to get to this point in his life and it doesn't matter it's just about sort of the present and I think that really puts you in an interesting perspective next to the driver as he's sort of dealing with just his daily work of being a Getaway Driver is pretty interesting. Um, very few, I've, I've, I've seen very few movies that have a character like this, like Driver, and it's really, I just love it. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's true. Like, that's another thing, another selling point for the film. What makes it strong is that at its core, Drive is a character study, and the driver. When I see him, he draws inspirations from characters such as the man with no name from Sergio Leone's The Dollars Trilogy, and then the other, uh, Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver was a huge influence for Drive, I hear. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, yeah, I think Driver's not as maybe, you don't really understand what has pushed him to enter this this life and this world as much as maybe Travis Bickle and Tax Driver, but yeah, I can definitely see parallels. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, you go first, Ryan. You go first. 
Well, I was just going to say, it is interesting how kind of mum they are about the background. Like, really, the only thing you get is um, when Shannon is saying, like, he just walked into my life six years ago, but where did he come from? What was he doing before then? Obviously, driving cars somewhere, doing something like that, but it's very um, mysterious in that sense. That's right, yeah, and I, I love it how they managed to, we barely know anything about our protagonist, he barely says a thing, he barely even blinks, I noticed, and he really, like Ryan Gosling, as you said, Dane, he really managed to deliver a good performance without saying much. I think it's one of his best performances I've ever seen recently since uh, Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that's... It's, it's interesting how his character is quite similar in a lot of ways in Blade Runner 2049, but at the same time, I don't, I don't like, mistake them for each other. Like, I don't, like, think, oh, he's just being put into this sort of, like, has been, like, typecasted. I don't think so. It's but similar, similar characters, definitely. And also, you could point to, like, um, Place Beyond the Pines, uh, Ryan Gosling in, in that as uh, Luke Glanton, I believe the character's name. It's, it's, he's different in that, but he's, he plays, in a sense, a similar troubled protagonist, sort of in that, sort of an anti-hero. And just kind of into the life into a terrible way of life but he's he portrays like you you get so much empathy or you feel so much empathy from from for him i can't speak today um because i don't know there's just something about ryan gosling you can't help but kind of but like him as a as a character as any character he plays yeah yeah he's very likable <laughs> And let's, I want to talk a bit more about just more on the visual storytelling. Like, for once, like, before we meet Irene, who is, as you know, the driver's love interest, she, like, notice how the driver, when we first see him, he is mostly very calm and stoic and serious. And most of his scenes are, like, he's almost shrouded in darkness by dark colors, especially blue. But when Irene enters the picture, you can see how the color palette, it it brightens and how he starts feeling happy. Like, we finally see him, like, showing emotion, like, genuine happiness. And we already get a sense of that he loves her without any dialogue being spoken. Like, I think that's what one thing I think dr- makes Drive a masterpiece. The fact that it defies all the conventions we would expect from big budget movies that tend to over-explain things. I think we, today's audiences, we are much better. We were much smarter than that. Mm-hmm. Great point. Yeah, Irene's clearly his sunshine, you know what I mean? Like, orange just becomes 50% of all the colors of the movie as soon as she's um, in there, right? So, yeah, it's it's very interesting that they show, like, how much he loves her just through the lighting and the color palette. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, Most of their scenes together are, in, are at day, or in the day, and also... Or, or they're kind of in social settings, parties, and it's or with her son, and it's just like the the huge contrast between like his his moonlighting as a getaway driver at night for like these shady characters, the underbelly of the city to basically just kind of being in like a family setting at day during the day with Irene, um, and he 
you see like such a softer side to driver that's very just you realize he's a person he's not just this like just this guy that kind of works alongside criminals and disappears at night or disappears in the day like he actually has like a human side to him which i think is unusual like you don't really see that in other crime films i mean you, you have but not in like such a not in not in a drive way not i don't think drives ever been done before I'm trying to think um but what what do you guys think of as far as like drive driver entering into the world of irene um do you think like ultimately he helps irene in her life or is it more of like a detriment to, to her life it's uh it's difficult to say but i would suggest that um it was a benefit and like a symbiotic relationship and one of the most powerful lines in the movie probably the most powerful is when he calls her at the end and he says spending time with you benicio you know that's the highlight of my life it's the best thing i ever did and like you might think okay it's just it, it was really good for him but it was definitely good for both of them you know he was a father figure for the child while the dad was in prison and if you take him out of the picture what would have happened like oscar isaac would have got out of prison he would have got mixed up with those guys and he would have been murdered anyway so wouldn't necessarily have been um better for them without ryan gosling especially because you know he kind of helps them out at the end by eliminating the the characters that are coming for the family that's right yeah yeah to your point to answer your question and yeah i have to agree with ryan as well because yes he did at the end he managed to basically give his all to help the woman he loved like the people who gave him a purpose in his life and in fact this reminds me of one of the most powerful quotes in the film which is of course the fable of the scorpion and the frog how a scorpion is drowning and it asks the frog to lift it. But the frog says, but won't you sting me? But the scorpion says, but if I sting you, we won't be able to make it across. So the frog carries the scorpion, but when he makes it, the scorpion stings the frog, saying it's in his nature. So from what I see, the driver is the scorpion, and Irene is the frog, the one that has to navigate him out of his dark life, the life of crime, I'd say. But in the end, the scorpion, he, the driver, doesn't sting the frog, making it for a very poetic, yet subtly, just subtly, happy ending, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I... I what actually helped me to understand that element of the film better was I was in a class last year that was sort of touching on like the uh, my cat jumping around. Speaking of animals, I'm about to talk about uh, Aesop, the the writer, the fable writer. Mm. That's kind of like the mysterious. They don't know who Aesop was, if he was like a real person or not. But he wrote a lot of fables on animals and sort of taught people how to. Um, how to understand life through like fables, I guess, with like uh, the scorpion and the frog fable. And so uh, I, I that kind of blew over my head when I watched it. Like I've seen it five to six times, but I never understood like what, what were they trying to get at this fable? But it, it I think it draws lines to uh, yeah, Aesop his fables, and I think I think it's a based on a real one, quite sure, which is really interesting. 
but uh, of course the scorpion symbol on his back I think that's a, a giveaway but other than that it was hard to understand like what they were trying to get at with that but I guess well, the beauty of Drive is it takes years to understand it fully exactly. yeah and many many rewatches reveal a lot of different layers to the film I, I would just highlight um, the scene in the elevator and if we just skip right to the end when uh, there's a close-up of the scorpion on its jacket and he's breathing hard he's panting and the scorpion is kind of like moving and that's that's when you finally see the scorpion sting like that's when irene finally realizes that he is a scorpion and that's why she's so traumatized that he like smashed that guy's head in right and, and he turns around with the crazed look in his face and a little bit like ashamed of what he did and everything like that because she knows or he knows how much he scared her but yeah that you know that's almost an overused trope to like smashing somebody's head like five to six times too many like five to six times more than you need to you see that a lot but you don't always see it with like juxtaposed with like a dimly lit almost um like fantasy-esque makeout scene in the elevator and yeah that's 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 what i would highlight it's just the juxtaposition of of those two things and then specifically the visual element of the scorpion actually pulsating and moving mm. wow yeah that's that's really interesting yeah Can we- that yeah. the movie yeah watch that next on, on the next rewatch specifically yeah. see the scorpion moving because it's uh, it's pretty interesting that's so true actually now that I think about it yeah and I'm eager to say something Dean oh no I'm just I'm just really yeah this, I, I don't know how I never caught that that's really interesting and of course, let's talk about the the moment building up to that scene where he smashes the guy's head in and Irene walks away. It's even foreshadowed, like when they enter into the elevator, he sees the man has a gun. You can see the whole scene is brightly lit, but when when the driver pushes Irene aside and starts to kiss her, it then starts to become dim and darker, showing that something something horrible is about to happen. But after he's done kissing her, the scene goes back to being bright, which I think symbolizes that now it's the light is shining on who the driver really is. Irene finally gets the truth, finally is hit with the truth that is being lit upon her. It's That's genius, very true. Really. And talk about just like one of the greatest scenes I think in any film. Honestly, I I've probably rewatched just that scene alone. Um, the ambient music that rises in that scene and the slow motion kiss and just the just what ends up happening a few minutes or a few seconds later. Just <laughs> that's that's the that's the thing that I really was most impacted by Drive is how you can have so much beauty in a film and then so much just like gruesome uh, stuff beside it and just contrasting that throughout the whole film. Um, it's it's both like one of the most beautiful films and one of the most like horrifying films at the same time. Yeah, it's definitely, there's some gruesome graphic stuff in there for sure. And it's, yeah, I think it's in there. To, it's meant to shock you and meant to, to shock you out of kind of the nice ambient lighting and the fantasy elements and bring you back into reality with like every single time violence appears on screen and it, you, it's pretty easy to tell like um in one scene i would mention when he goes to visit irene at her workplace you can really tell that it's like very softly lit and like diffused lighting like you, you can't even read the labels in any of the 
whatever the ketchup and all the stuff that they have on the table and it's just almost like um they have an aura about them like somebody put gold dust in the air and they kind of lit up that gold dust and it just you can tell that it's like soft diffused light very warm very orange and then the red that paired like the red of everyone's blood that pairs with the blue that the driver kind of himself personifies that's that's right yeah and that reminds me of another a very small but impactful scene like even the scene in the supermarket with the driver and Irene notice that as he is walking down the aisle it's all covered with blue products like mouthwash or Tide or Tylenol and then the next and in the next scene with Irene she's in a store with where all the products are, guess what? Red, like red and blue. It shows like almost like a clashing of two worlds, the innocent and the criminal. That's so true. I never noticed that. I honestly never noticed that about Tribe. I was always, I've always just loved just the, like the way they show these very like shabby interior scene or interior locations. And, um, I don't know, it, it makes you inspired just to like go out and start looking at grocery stores and diners as like potential shooting locations. I because they are very like nondescript locations most of the way throughout the film. It doesn't show Hollywood, it doesn't show like these beautiful locations in Los Angeles. It's very like the other side sort of like mm -hmm. sort of on on the edge of sort of like the other world in Los Angeles. And so but it really it shows shows in such a new light i've never seen la in such a it's it's a beautiful but very realistic way but it's also it's also a fantasy um but it's also just like the everyday places that probably the, the majority of people live in in the city but i just yeah. love, i just love the shooting locations of drive it it brings a lot of realism to the film because this is where people are actually going to work actually shopping for their groceries actually going home to their like shabby small apartments and things like that it's it's not glamorous it's not glamour la at all it's you know like you said the other side and i think that's very valuable for telling the story that this film is trying to tell yeah like you can kind of see like the fantasy is there but it's sort of not within it's not within their reach like what that idea of los angeles is is sort of there but the characters are sort of like on the outside looking in is how i kind of feel Like they're so close to it, but yeah, their lives are kind of shattered by reality, but the fantasy's still there. It's yeah, yeah, that's true. In fact, what you said, um, it's it ha Drive has really strong vibes and influences to Mulholland Drive, which Nicholas Winding Refn said was a huge influence for this film. Basically, the clash between, you know, dreams and reality, idealism and pragmatism. It's, it shows how, you know, how they, these people, they're just good or decent people living in a world full of chaos, darkness and injustice. And I guess I'm oh, sorry, you, you go first. You go first. <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm trying to formulate what I could go off, but I totally agree with you on that. Um, like, maybe someone else can jump in. <laughs> 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 right, <for instance. laughs> yeah, I, I, I would just go back to the fact that, um, 
you're right. It's like it is these nondescript locations, but there is a total beauty to them. Like the way that they're shot, like the shallow depth of field and the the warm lighting and stuff, it makes it really seem like this could be a nice place. But that's I think that's what Nicholas Winding Rent is trying to show and he then juxtaposes all the scenes at night or the crime during the day as being like this veil, this warm veil could be pierced at any time and then the seedy underbelly will just pour through. Mm. That's that's true. And I think like you said with Nicholas Winding and like it's sort of like his from his perspective as like an outsider, he's from Denmark, so it's sort of like I think it, it's a more realistic look at Los Angeles and like the United States at the time, early twenty tenth, because um, I think he yeah, I think he was living there by then, but he comes from such a different uh, a different part of the world. Denmark doesn't resemble California at all. And being sort of like uh, which I'll get, I'll, I was going to get to about Drive sort of being like European art house meets American action. It's um, that's I think the the thing that sets it apart from all of its sort of peers, all of the movies that you can compare it to is that Nicholas Winding is coming from such a different point of view. And uh, like if you've seen his other films like Pusher Trilogy, like he really shows uh, Copenhagen, Denmark. He, Copenhagen's like for the average person that hasn't been there just knows about it. it's quite beautiful like it's a very like idyllic beautiful European city but he shows it in the most like harsh light like it's like this is the absolute underbelly of a relatively nice city and nice country but he, he purposefully shows the worst side of it and I think he, he kind of does the same with Los Angeles in his film but also he has like an admiration because he is like following that Hollywood American dream as a as a filmmaker by going there, so I think he still loves it there, but he's sort of like also critical of the whole the whole myth around it, right? Which I think really shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, you can see that Neon Demon as well. He is kind of like sh- trying to shatter myths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, and on to your uh, previous point as well about the the violence in Drive. By the way, to those who haven't seen Drive yet, fair warning: this is not a film for the squeamish, because see. But that's I think find in fact the violence was one of the reasons why it was detrimental at the box office, why Drive wasn't such a huge box office success. But personally, I think that the violence, in a way, that's the beauty of it all. Because in a, we are with Hollywood on the rise, you know the, how there are these movies that you know tend to glorify violence, like showing the big monsters destroying the city, lots of explosions and visual spectacle. Well, the thing is, Drive doesn't do any of that like in most big big blockbuster films the violence is shoved down our throats like as a spectacle for all of us to watch but with drive the violence yeah it's gory but it serves a reason as to telling the story and moving the plot forward it's not just done for the sake of shocking the audience every death or every violent act it's all done for the purpose of advancing the story and i think that that's one of the few occasions where violence is justified and it also shows the world the characters live in is truly a dark cruel place Yeah, 
like with regular Hollywood, it's, it can be more gratuitous. It can just be, like you said, you know, almost shoving it down our throat and showing us the violence like throughout the film as almost like uh, nonchalantly as they can. But with Drive, it really does juxtapose everything else in the film. And that, that's what makes it stand out so hard, makes it maybe harder to stomach. But like, I mean, every assault or every murder is, is uh, related to the, the plot. So it's useful. Right, yeah, like when uh, spoiler alerts, incoming spoilers, like when Standard Gabriel gets shot after the heist, it serves as the turning point of the film. That is when, you know, like the end of Act One, I'd say, when the action really starts to build up. And the same can be said when uh, the woman uh, played by Christina Hendricks gets, you know, shot in the head in the bathroom at the mo- that motel. Yeah, that was so brutal. It was. <laughs> That was bad. And then when the same can be said when the driver kills uh, uh, Nino and uh, Bernie, who are the antagonists, which is sort of has a purpose so that the story can have its happy ending or its denouement. And also when Shannon, uh, played by Brian Cranston, dies in a violent way, it also helps to motivate the driver into continuing, finishing the job for good. It's really, it's it's graphic, yes, but it's not without reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Then the, the 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 violent scenes, though, they really they, they they come at you at points you don't expect it. Like I mean, in the diner, uh, I can't remember which character it was, um, but the the fork scene where mm, I guess yes, the face before, yeah, it's just like it's just so. Ooh, it kind of reminds me sometimes of Breaking Bad or like yeah, the Breaking Bad universe. Just how it happens and you just don't expect it to happen. It's just it's just, it's just constantly um, yeah breaks your expectations of what a film is supposed to follow or what formula a film is supposed to follow and like characters do this and yeah, Drive sets it on its head. I think yeah, well you're actually right. I got that vibe as well from Breaking Bad. That's actually like probably my favorite scene in the movie, surprisingly, that diner scene. And it, yeah, it reminds me of um, Gus in Breaking Bad when he mm-hmm. uses the box cutter just specifically to show something. But I yeah. think the reason why that it's my favorite scene in the film, even though it doesn't have the driver in it, is just because it really kind of shows that like it's a crime film, but it's not an organized crime film. It's a disorganized crime film. Like, in some sense, these guys are just bumbling idiots, and Nino comes out as, like, being a child. You know, he's afraid of being called names. He's very egotistical, and, and, and when he gets slighted, he makes mistakes and does bad decisions. And the other guy has to kind of rein him in, and he has to brutally murder a cook right in front of Nino just to get the point across. And it's like, you you know, you, you effed up, you did something stupid, and now we have to clean this up, and you got to clean up this mess, literally in the middle of the pizzeria. So it does kind of show that they, they're working with, you know, the kind of henchmen that are, you know, they're not meticulous like the driver. They're not um, clean and to the point in that sense. Yeah, they are like, yeah, it's like, I call them like psychopathic man children, power hungry mad children. They're like <laughs> wannabes, like they claim to be all big and tough. Everyone's scared of them, but Sadly, they don't have the power or the brains to back up those claims. Yeah, yeah, they're afraid of the East Coast mob. They're afraid of the family. 
Yeah, totally. And and it's just interesting to see because like the driver isn't motivated by money. Like he leaves the money at the end of the film. And even though he commits these violent acts, it's clear that he still has a moral code. He wants to protect Irene, he wants to protect Benicio, and it's also clear that he would have stepped out. Like, I mean, when he when he threatens Cook and he says, once this job is done, he's out. Leave him alone, leave the family alone. And I think that um, the driver would have left the family alone, too. I think that he just wanted the best for them, and he would have stepped out. He just had to make sure that, you know, nobody was going to get killed first. And it, it didn't work out that way in the end, but I think that he always had good intentions. And, it, again, it was not about the money. Right. He tried to give it to Irene. That's right, yeah. In fact, and you mentioned it, I want to talk a bit more about that scene, you know, where the driver threatens Cook, you know, where he bashes his hand with a hammer and puts the bull, a bullet right in his mouth. Like, uh, that scene was, it's one part cathartic since we're watching this despicable bastard just getting the shit beaten out of him. And at the same time, it's a bit frightening because, you know, Up to this point, we've seen the driver as very calm and stoic. But when things are about to go south, especially for Irene, the woman he loves, he just shows that violent side of him. He really lets letting the showing living up to the scorpion in the back of his jacket. It's show that he's unhinged really and it really also helps to show how much Irene means to him because Irene is like notice how the driver is he feels something whenever Irene is in, is in trouble like remember when he's confronting Shannon and when he found out Shannon dropped Irene's name the driver just loses his cool and starts just yelling and swearing at uh, Shannon really shows how much Irene means to him as a as a person as a human being Yeah, you know, with Driver, it's it's sort of like the the song "Real Hero" by College. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Um, it's, it's sort of he's he's that character of like, you know, he's he's not he's not a great person by any means, like what he's done in his life. But he's he's sort of like for someone to kind of selflessly give up their life in the in the sense that he he does for Irene, it's it kind of. Like what other kind of person would other than someone that probably doesn't have much of a future left or clear, you know, life goals or a, a path out of this shady uh, world he's put himself in. So it's 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 kind of like in a in a sense an antihero, but I feel like he is sort of the what what a hero might actually realistically be. Because not not a lot of people would actually give up like <laughs> their safety and and have probably people on their on his trail for the rest of his life to help mm -hmm. someone other than someone that probably doesn't really have a lot in his life to go to or to, to look towards. I guess he kind of is self is so selfless, but it's it's almost it's almost the only time it would be justified is in his case because everyone else would be sort of distracted by something else like no i'm, I'm going to uh you know take the money and, and disappear but for him it's 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 different i guess he he finally has a chance to do something right in his life and it's sort of like yeah his one time where he can kind of uh feel like a human being and like loved in that sense right So it's, it's really quite a romantic film. Like I think I, I see it more as a romance first, 
even though it is such a brutal film. I agree. I find it to be, it's a great romance film in a, in a strange, twisted way. Like, he's, he's not the ideal person at all. He's, he's actually someone that is kind of, he's kind of terrifying driver. Like, I wouldn't want to actually know this guy in real life, but he, uh, <laughs> he has a romantic, he, at, at the core of, him, of who he is, he is romantic, which is, I think, yeah. Not, not the type of person you should date. No, <laughs> no but, yeah. well, he loves his woman so much that he will gladly re-empty the contents of a guy's head all over the elevator. <laughs> yeah. But on your point, like, let's talk about that song, A Real Human Being and a Real Hero by Electric Youth. Aside from being a very memorable, catchy song, I feel that that really explains the re the nature of the driver because to me drive is a lesson on how do you create a hero a protagonist like in our current world of movies and blockbusters most people associate protagonists with or heroes with superheroes just guys with powers who wear masks and don't get hurt but the driver is doing none of those things he's as the song says a human being like someone who he's tough he's fearless but he's someone who actually gets hurt someone who is vulnerable who has his own flaws someone that we can relate to and root for at the exact same time <clears throat> yeah he knows his um vulnerabilities like he knows when he makes these sacrifices in the name of love and commits these violent acts in the name of love, he knows, uh, like, I mean, what what could happen? Like, Nino's henchman could get him. He could have been killed in the elevator. He's always, like, at that risk. But, um, yeah, he keeps driving forward fearlessly. Exactly, yeah. And I know I've mentioned this quote twice already, but I think it strongly applies here. But to quote the great and talented Alfred Hitchcock, in the earlier days, heroes wore capes and saved kitties from trees, and villains had long twirly mustaches and kicked dogs wherever they went. But we are much smarter than that today because what we, what we today's audiences want, we don't want to see a hero or a villain. What we want to see is us, a human being with flaws, imperfections, and failings of their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that stands for all the characters in the film too. Like, Driver is relatable in, in some senses, but so is Irene. You know, so is Benicio. They're they're just trying to do their best and get by as well. Like, they're they're not wanting to get mixed up in all of this. Driver, maybe he does. It's, you know, it's his side job, <laughs> but still. Yeah. yeah. And another thing that really sold this film for me, I really appreciate Nicholas Winding Refn's attention to detail. Like, one scene that comes to my mind when the driver goes to visit Irene in her apartment, you can see that there is a mirror, and in that mirror is a picture of Standard 
and Benicio, uh, the son. And you can see the driver takes up most of the space in the mirror, which shows how he is basically taking over. He's the, the, the protector of this family to be the basically fill in for standard role of the, the man in the family, the man of the house, the one in charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that scene. I kept thinking he was going to look over at the picture and like have some kind of internal conflict about it, but he never does. He's just there taking up the space. Yeah, and and in that same scene, we see Benicio wearing a mask, a Halloween mask, which kind of foreshadows what the driver's gonna do, you know, when he wears that mask and basically just ends Nino's life. Just, wow, that, that scene too, where, you know, the driver's wearing the mask uh, as a stunt driver and he was chasing Nino, oh God, that scene felt directly from a horror film. <laughs> It definitely had that vibe to it and then it's like okay well your main protagonist and your anti-hero is also very reminiscent of like a maniac from a horror film coming after you mm-hmm. yeah that's that's so true drive has elements of horror for sure and i think uh, I, I think like the mask he puts on it's also sort of like it's sort of a metaphor for i guess hollywood and how you know he is sort of putting on a mask with his day job as a stunt driver and uh, I guess I, I, I remember reading more about how like what putting on the mask means to driver as far as sort of uh, the Hollywood myth of sort of the hero and uh, but once he puts once he puts on the mask he's he become sort of Almost, a, you feel like he's a villain, but he still is the hero. But you are intimidated by Driver. I think oh, that's definitely terrifying. It's almost like a role reversal. Like you, you don't feel sympathy for Nino, but it's almost you feel you feel scared for Nino. You know? <laughs> What's about to happen? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's also coming after we find out that he's actually just a big child, so you can't be scared of him. And they crash. He's like, "What the fuck was that? Let's get out of here!" <laughs> and then, of course, the, the headlights come on. Like that's another horror movie thing, right? It's just getting blinded by the headlights, and a car is coming right for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really. That's that's the thing I notice as well that Drive. It's although it's it's written stone. It's a neo noir film. It also is a mashup of different genres, like you said, Dane. It's one part romance. The scene with where he kills Nino is one part horror, and it also has vibes to a western, like a nameless protagonist who is an anti-hero who basically wants to save basically save the world in a world that's filled with darkness and violence it's just clever how they managed to incorporate different elements from different genres it's genius really mm-hmm. there's a lot of layers for sure yeah, and i feel like it's it's a film that really it doesn't have any meaningless filler in it at all like mm-hmm. every scene is so important i know a lot of people I think criticism I've heard from other people is, oh, it's slow. Oh, it's it's sort of um, a lot of just walking and, and walking around, driving. But for me, that's that's all I need. That's all I need is just a few. You don't. You only need a few things to happen, and the rest of it can just be the mood. It can be the the build up. It can be the, the cinematography and the the music. Mm-hmm. And I feel like drive. It's I think it's the perfect sort of length. Like I mean, 
it's it feels it feels longer than it is like it feels like more happens but it also it, it feels like you can't you can't be bored in it at all like i'm just like totally magnetized to the screen from the very beginning to the end of drive yeah absolutely and i think the people that um are you know critical of I guess slow films those are just films that aren't resonating with them like if you really get into the story and you're watching Drive like like it almost ends too soon and you want more you want a sequel you know like you enjoy being in the atmosphere of the film but if you're finding it slow and not enjoyably so then it's just it's just not connecting with you on that level but that that doesn't mean it's a bad film some slow films are bad films but this one certainly is not no to those people who say you know do not appreciate it for its slow pace just tisk 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 but you see in to your point ryan in most recent years i found a new appreciation for these kinds of films with slow pacing or slow burn that i didn't understand before i was just a naive little child <laughs> but the thing yeah, is slow burn. yeah like yeah. Pe- action is great yes but what we want is what we don't want is too much action but no story which i think some people that are like hollywood for example i feel like hollywood can be at times out of touch with their audience they think that sometimes we buy into a film because of the spectacle the action or these cheap thrills but that's not what drive is about i think that is where what makes drive such a great film it's not just the story or the characters or the cinematography but how it defies all those conventions we've come to know in a big blockbuster film it's a a deconstruction of that action i think mm-hmm. and you can even see that like when he when there is that scene at the beginning when he is doing a, a stunt in the police car like it's almost satirical like it's, it's again poking at hollywood and it's like this is your action film but the rest the night job that my guy has is my action film you know what i mean like it's it doesn't seem that glamorous or anything and he's he's getting flipped over but he's okay it's like dangerous but it's not not uh, stimulating in that sense at least not for the driver himself i don't think yeah yeah that's true and yeah for and that's another thing i appreciate one one more thing to that i appreciate is that there are some action scenes in drive like the action is kept minimal and not very spectacular like no big explosions or cars crashing into one another like and i think that's good like the scene after the heist you know where uh the driver is driving christina Hendricks out and there's this huge car chase up in the mountains near hollywood that is a good example like it's it's simple nothing spectacular but it's just simple something that could really happen it makes it believable i think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah like like all of the criticism for drive is what makes me love drive like <laughs> i love that it's like an anti-hollywood film and it's the rejection of not that i don't like hollywood films there are good hollywood but I, I get tired of it I get sort of you know it, it becomes dull mm-hmm. after a while so to see something that just totally rejects it and I think just gives you the same thrill but in an entirely new way and also adds like beauty to it and sort of like a feminine side um, I think it's unbelievable 
and it really started, I think, in a, in a way, like it's a movement that a lot of video games have copied a lot of stylistic choices from the music to the actual aesthetic, a lot of other films, I feel like. Yeah, that I purple like font at the beginning, too. It's such a, such a vibe. Yeah. Uh, I feel like at least a handful of films have copied it in some way since, um, or are really being influenced by it, you can tell. So I feel like if a film can sort of divert and just change a genre and create a whole new movement through uh, for other mediums, from be, like to video games, to music, to other films, I think that's the marker of the true uh, cinematic uh, land masterpiece, even, you could say. Uh, yeah. Yeah, then it like it's definitely inspired a lot, and it obviously had its own inspirations. That's just how these things go. That's just how art kind of moves through the world. But I think a lot of people became really obsessed with Drive because it was, you know, rejected the norms, but in a really super cool way. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a it's a very cool film. People really like it a lot for that. Yeah, I mean, you have Ryan Gosling. He's like probably at, at that time he still is, but uh, at that time he was like the sort of uh, well. He, Everyone loved him, but he was sort of. Uh, if he didn't do something like this, I think he could have fallen into sort of mm -hmm. a, a bad trap of, of being cast as just the, the the beautiful man in every film. But he really, like, he really, he he took part in this film that I think could have been a risk for him, but it was like the biggest payoff I think. Yeah, like it was, yeah, it was total renaissance. Like a starring role. It was similar to when Matthew McConaughey was only in rom coms, and then now yeah. everyone realizes he's actually so good. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, 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 it's good. I'm glad. Like uh, I want to see actors like reach their potential and, and be in worthwhile films versus like, you know, B grade rom coms. Yeah, yeah. Like he had like he had little. Uh, great moments a few great moments before drive like i think blue valentine was an amazing film half nelson um lars and the real girl like he he showed himself before that but he he was never being recognized for like his his talent it was always about his looks the notebook and I, don't, I don't know i i've never seen a notebook but i heard it's it's not it's not bad but um i think a lot of it was about him his appearance first and just sort of he fit into that like A-list Hollywood uh, sort of male model <laughs> uh, character in every film but yeah to see him in this where he's really it's just, that's not the focus at all I think it's really important for him and I think he went on to direct his first film four years later three years later Lost River which oh, yeah, I haven't seen that how is that? Yeah, I've just seen a quick sidebar. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I've seen, I watched the trailer like a hundred times, but I never ended up watching the film. But he really, you could tell, was probably influenced by his work with Nicholas Winding Refn as far as like his right. director vision and style. Like you could tell him and uh, Nicholas Winding Refn worked really well together and probably uh, changed his, his perspective on film, I'm sure. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of interesting stories about two of them hanging out before making the film they kind of just drove around LA listening to 80s music and wow. I think they really really wanted to they really wanted to make it personal it seems like for the two of them like they had a really good relationship as director and actor and were like really good friends so well, I think across it, like the movie really works like they really yeah it really works yeah yeah and I think they even might have. I think they spent a lot of time at his at Nicholas Winding Refn's. Uh, like he had a house slash studio or something, 
And it, it just sounds like it, that would have made an amazing documentary just following those two because yeah. this Refn is like kind of the opposite of Ryan Gosling as far as like personality and <laughs> sort of who he is. He's so, he's so like, he's such a quirky guy, but he's, um, yeah, the two of them, I'd love to see more films between the two of them working together, but who knows if it could be a drive sequel. I know that uh, there is a, there is a second book to uh, to drive. Oh, wow. wow. Text, yeah. I didn't realize. Yeah. I, would, I would totally read that. <laughs> I, I, I have it, like, I have the second one. It's called uh, Driven. 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 Uh, mm. And Catchy. it's kind of interesting because he ends Drive, up, driven, drove. <laughs> he ends up in um, Phoenix, Arizona, as like car mechanic in the sequel. So I, I haven't read it fully, but it seems like he's sort of piecing together his life and trying to start a new life. And it kind of makes sense at the end of Drive. He's driving off sort of in a mysterious direction. Maybe if there's a sequel, it could be. It'd be interesting, but I don't really want to see it happen because I'm kind of yeah. It's a big I risk. Mm -hmm. I, I, I get that impression from the people involved as well. It's that it just really stands on its own, and anything else, it's just might tarnish it or make it not as good. Yeah. But how good is the casting in general? Like, there's very few lines in the movie, but everybody who's in it is so good. Like Brian Cranston, Ron Perlman, even getting Christina Hendricks in the film, and Oscar Isaac as well. Like. Very, very good. The whole everyone's so well cast in this one. Oh yeah, agreed. And of course, we've talked more about uh, Ryan Gosling. Like we have to give credit where credit is due to Brooks. Just n not, not that, not, not, not that Brooks, but Albert Brooks as the main antagonist, Bernie. Like, who'd have thought? that the guy who played Marlin in Finding Nemo could play such <laughs> an intimidating villain. Like, yeah, his voice is great. It's yeah, great. <laughs> great. Yeah. Even that scene where he and the driver first meet or about to shake hands and the driver's like, my hands are dirty. And, uh, and then he's like, so are mine. It really, that just with minimal dialogue already tells us what kind of man uh, Bernie really is. Like someone who knows he's a criminal, but he just embraces it and owns up to it. That was a very interesting scene because then he didn't shake uh, Shannon's hand after either, even though they made the deal, you know. That's right. Yeah. 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 And yeah. Oh no, you go first, Dave. Well, yeah. Talking about the cast, like, how could you have a better cast? I mean, the fact that Oscar Isaac is in it and like the career he he's had years later, and at the time I didn't really, I wasn't familiar with Oscar Isaac in the early 2010s. But the fact that he's, well, he's not a minor character, but he's he's there. And then, like, Albert Brooks, I mean, like, the career he's had, <laughs> unbelievable. He was actually in Taxi Driver, which is funny. Um, minor character in Driver, but interesting trivia there. And then Ron Perlman, like, oh, my God. He's, I mean, he's hilarious in the film. He's just so, <laughs> he's just so he's creepy. Great. Like, he's so <laughs> I love Ron Perlman. <laughs> and uh, Christina Hendricks, she's amazing in it. Uh, Carrie Mulligan, yeah, she's mm -hmm. unbelievable. Uh, I just love every character, and I, I don't think you could have casted, you couldn't have done a better cast. Oh, yeah, agreed. And, yeah, and can you believe also 
this was also way before the act many of the actors like i think this is the film that made them put them on the map before they got they branched out like oscar isaac before nobody knew who he was until he showed up in drive and later on would find equal success with ex machina and of course the divisive star wars trilogy at the same time yeah he's in a lot and he's always very very good like mm -hmm. like his movies yeah. yeah i forgot yeah brian cranston that's that's unbelievable because that this kind of was around breaking bad like he would have probably just finished or maybe between shooting breaking bad mm -hmm. if he took part in this but i mean it's just so different like you think of all of these names all of these big talents in this film and it's it's so it's like an independent film like it has that feeling of an indie film but mm -hmm. you have some of the biggest names and heavy hitters for sure i just i just love that exactly. i hope it's done more often oh yeah he was hoping and also another thing that i appreciate about drive that makes it all the more relatable for me is how it serves as a lesson on masculinity i'd say because it deconstructed the usual action hero archetype because when you hear the word action hero what are some people that comes to mind like we got arnold schwarzenegger or kurt russell as a snake pliskin and or even John Rambo, like, you know, these big, beefy guys who smoke cigarettes or grizzled and have big guns, literally and figuratively. And, and what is the driver? Like, the driver, he, and this is a good thing, really, he doesn't, you know, fit those molds of a, you know, of loud, macho action stars. He's more just a guy, like, an, with average build, with an average appearance, not the kind of person you'd expect to be your typical action hero. And I think that is a good thing. It's, I think it's a, Ryan Gosling was a good choice for this because he, he looks just like everyone else, someone who is someone that you pass by in a crowd or you work beside you really shows that the heroes can be us, not who we want to be, but can also be ourselves, our own inner reflections. Yeah, he also never appears without a shirt on, which <laughs> you would you would see with those other guys. <laughs> and then at the beginning of the film, when he um, when he parks at the Staples Center for the Clippers game, again just blends in with the crowd. Right? Could just be any one of us. Wow! Exactly. Nice. Nice. Wow. That's true. Wow. I didn't even. Wow. Just you. Very, <laughs> very perceptive, Ryan. <laughs> Mind blown. He's. Yeah, and, hmm, uh, all right, what else, hmm, uh, all right, also, I, just like I said, like, I think this film could really serve as an important lesson for all filmmakers in general, because what makes Drive so special at the same time is how it captures the old style of films, you know, that old traditional sense, like, there's, there's no CGI, no visual spectacle, and, little no overstuffed plot but it shows that even in this new wave the new tense cinema still has a bit of that old fight in them like to make a good movie as drive has shown us the story is simple and the characters are complex it should not should not be the other way around it's just a guy who wants to help a family from these criminals and that that's it that's all we need to know it's really well done yeah well said 
Well said. Exactly. Yeah, I, I feel like less is more a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Drive really, really shows that. I mean, you could make the story so much more complicated, add so many other elements to it. It just, it's just not necessary. And I feel like it is, it is a return to some of the classics, like some of the, what some of the classics did as far as you make it minimal, you make it about human, the human condition, human just emotions. And that's it. You don't need, you don't need much more than that. And if you can really strike a chord there, I think you've got film. And if you do what Drive did by basically, you know, creating some of the best sequences, I think, exactly. of the decade, some of the best uh, just scenes set to music. Like, I, I feel like every choice here is deliberate and every choice was the right one. I just, I can't, I can't even think of a, a flaw in drive, to be honest. Exactly. Even when I try, I just, it's like, <laughs> I think it's perfect. I, don't, I wouldn't change anything. Yeah, it's a great film. And I, like, I mean, as many times as I've seen it, I've listened to the soundtrack more. It's really... Yeah very quintessential yeah and um yeah let's and also at the same time the soundtrack let's talk about the soundtrack for a bit i feel that is the music is oh, so breathtaking it's a mix of 80s pop and a bit of you know stylized punk i just it's the song the, the song especially the a real human being they're all they're so beautiful they really fit the scene and also our way of when there's no dialogue they serve as the dialogue to the film they really set the mood in that sense mm-hmm. yeah they're like the, the music is like a character in the film absolutely mm-hmm. the setting is a character the music and i think i think if you didn't have that like if you were to swap uh the the soundtrack for another soundtrack that would be more sort of in line with the mainstream what is to be expected in films I think it would just deflate it like if you were to just mm-hmm. remove it it would just completely change the film um, and yeah it sort of was like at that time of like the height of like the 80s revival the 80s nostalgia or the 2010s it was really like um, synth wave and, uh, or sorry like um, well synth, synth music in general but like all of the subgenres within electronic music that sounded like 80s uh, revival songs really were becoming popular on YouTube again. So it really was just like the perfect time and place for it. And it feels it feels like, in a lot of ways, it's it's a timeless film. Like I, I don't think I'll see it. It's like, oh, it's from the early 2010s. It's sort of like it could have it could have existed. Mm-hmm. And you can watch it at any time too. Like it's not going to be some dated in the next ten years either. Right? Yeah. It still it still holds up. Yeah. Even ten years later, it's just amazing. Wow. Yeah. It still looks like unbelievable. It's, the fact that 2011 is ten years ago and the films look so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could have came out in 2018, and I wouldn't have even like blinked. Exactly. Yeah. It's <laughs> crazy. And. One final note also I'd like to say is that Drive, it's, it, I love how it also captures that same, you know, feel from old film noirs. Because in most film noirs, they usually tend to end with an anti-climax. And I think that's good because it really shows 
it, the conflict is believable. Like in Drive, you'd think as a as a marketed action film, you'd think there'd be a lot of guns blazing and explosions in the air, but no. Instead, the driver and uh, Bernie, they just have a, a brief knife fight. He just stabs him. He stabs him back, but the driver just walks away into the darkness and into an unknown future. I think that's a good way to end the film, and it really emphasizes how it subverts everything we've come to expect from the, you know, classic Hollywood blockbusters that we often get nowadays. I agree. I agree. Like, to make... Yeah. And, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, 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 you go first. You go first. No, no, no. You go. Oh, okay. Sorry. Like, I think to make your film, a film really stand out to the whole world of cinema is that it has to like defy something from that genre it comes from like take no country for old men like how it defied everything we've come to know from you know classic western films or the cabin in the woods with how it defies everything about horror well drive it defies everything we've come to know from our standard action movies and i think it succeeds that to full and complete Complete perfection. Well said, man. Great way to end. Thank you. Um, what were you gonna say, Dane? Oh, I I forget. Maybe I, I was maybe going to make a point about just the the costuming in the film too. Just, mm, yes, like, yes. The fact that you could you could see just like tons of people buying the scorpion jackets for Halloween. Yeah, uh, uh, that that's another signal that you've made something really impactful in pop culture especially for for fairly low budget film like I mean 15 million dollars fairly low budget in uh, grand scheme of things compared to other Hollywood films but um, to, to create that cultural impact like people are buying the, the character's wardrobe for Halloween that doesn't happen for every film even really good films people don't really pay attention to the, the clothing and the iconography of the film so Drive really, I think Drive hit every point just like A plus. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Definitely a cultural, cultural moment for this one. That's right. I agree. Yeah. Like, let's not, of course, kid ourselves. 2011 was filled with so many amazing films. Hugo, The Artist, The Tree of Life. But to me personally, no other film from that year managed to exhilarate, amaze me all at once with Drive. Thanks to its visual storytelling, incredible cinematography, and great defying subversion of all the Hollywood film conventions that we still get today. So for that, I give it an A double plus. Or should I say five comments out of five? <laughs> yeah, five comments out of five. Yeah, I, I feel like Drive's a perfect example of um, why the you know, United States Hollywood needs new blood, new um, just like new perspectives, someone from another part of the world to come and, and just twist the conventions and and just totally bring something new because it shows how Nicholas Wani Ruffin um, kind of created something that miss that maybe some people felt misled by, like, oh I'm gonna get this this action film that comes out every year and I know what to expect and then can just totally uh, shattered expectations in a totally original way. I hope it happens more often and I hope the future, we'll see more uh, foreign directors coming to Hollywood and 
really just totally changing the genres that we become too familiar with. Right, you are. Yeah, it'd be nice to be nice to see some more fresh takes on things for sure. Right, you are, guys. Like, not all film and entertainment has to come directly from the West. And I especially agree, also completely agree with all the defying of conventions, especially now that most films nowadays are basically just sequels, prequels, and remakes. We don't want that anymore. We want something new, something original, something that breathes new life, not imitates it like that's what i think art is basically just creation and imitation are not the same things so true so wow loved very philosophical uh, the last bit of our episode really nice and since we are at the one hour mark i think it's time to reveal our favorite scenes from drive starting with you ryan my favorite scene is the opening um with the yeah the chromatic song and the uh, like dodging the helicopter that was sweet and then ending up uh, in the stadium blending into the crowd and then the second one's at Nino's Pizzeria with um, Nino and Bernie and Cook. Ooh, nice. Choice. Excellent choices. Choice. On to you, Big D. Well, I mean, I could name 10 favorites, but I think wow. one that will always <laughs> just have the, the greatest connection to me is probably uh, the ending scene. Driver is sitting in the car, and you don't know if he's alive or dead. His eyes are sort of closed. He's like leaning back. He's been stabbed, right? And um, just like the pan down and how you kind of see that, okay, well, no, actually first there's the music sort of like, it fades up, uh, Real Hero by College just fades up and you hear like those synths and the angelic vocals and you're like, before that it's just quiet for like 20, 30 seconds. You don't know the fate of Driver. And then when he opens his eyes and he finally no, sorry, his eyes are open and he blinks. That's yeah. He's, they're like glazed over, like he could be dead yeah. with his eyes open. Sort of thing. Yeah, sorry, I got it backwards. Yeah. Then he blinks, and that's how you know he's alive. And then he sort of reaches down and starts driving away, and you see the the, the bag of money left behind in the parking lot. I think that's that's my favorite scene. That's just so beautiful. Mm, and really, it's... it feels. Um, can I say something, Ryan? No, go ahead. Um, Let's hear your scene. Like that, um, just one more thing about the Dane scene. Like even the scene where he's dr- where he leaves the money behind, it really cements the kind of man the driver really is. Like very selfless. How he is not greedy. How he just leaves it lying there for Irene, for anyone really. It's just really great way to cap off the movie too, and his character arc too. And as for my favorite scene, I have to go with the entire heist where the driver and uh, Standard Gabriel rob the pawn shop. Like, that scene is so suspenseful and stressful. You, even when my first reading, I had a feeling something was wrong. Like, the parking lot is empty, there's no music, and then suddenly we see another car drive by that's when i knew oh crap things are going south and they do go south as standard gabriel is shot and then a car chase happens like to me this is the the end of act one like the whole 
turning point of the film where the action really starts to rise up and things only start to escalate from there. And usually, as a subversion of the whole action genre, this scene, like the heist scene, would be considered like the climax, the ending of the film. But it really shocked me that, you know, we're only in the first half and there's still a few minutes to go by the film. It's really caught me off guard. And this is what cemented Drive as, to me, as one of the best films of the last decade, if not the best film of 2011. I think so too. Great choices, you guys. Yes. And speaking of 11, we've ended right at one, the one hour and 11th mark. That's all the time we have left. We really covered so much for just one movie, don't you guys think? I think we could do even more if we had time. Definitely, we could go on, but. I need to watch it again. It's been uh, it's been a few years now, but this is, so trying to recollect everything I've thought about it's been really interesting because it's just like ingrained in my brain. But I need to watch it again. I need to watch it again. Awesome, and thank you so much for coming here, Ryan, for your third episode yet, and many more to come. Many more to come. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love talking with you guys, and I just rewatched Drive last night, so it was fresh Ooh, in my brain. Awesome. I rewatched it for the episode, like specifically, and then um, yeah, that's that's how you know, like it's always good for rewatch. So it doesn't matter how long it's been; like the movie holds up. Everyone listening, go watch Drive. It's, it's worth your time. You know, yeah, like even if I if it's a film, even if it's for the show or not, I always enjoy a good rewatch because I learn something new every time, and I never even get bored of watching the same thing. It's astounding, really. Yeah. And stay tuned for next week. The time has come. We will finally review the long-awaited Snyder Cut, coming soon on HBO Max. So stay tuned. Until then, thank you, Ryan, and thank you, Dane, for making it here for our 36th episode. Bye. Bye. Wow. Bye, guys. So long. Bye. Stay tuned. Real human being. Yes, and a real hero.